Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. These are your people, Lord. I respect that and I honour that. And Lord, I don't want to be one of those ministers that deceive or lead any of your people astray because, Lord, I know the accountability that I have when it comes to ministering to your people. So, Lord, I, I place myself in your hands, my Lord Jesus. Please help me. Please help me to say the right thing. Please, as we open up this book of Revelation, which is such a... A powerful book, one of the most powerful in all of Scripture. Please help us to, to get it right. Please help me to pull forth things that are going to edify your people and grow your people and make them strong for the times ahead. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Please help me now, Lord Jesus, and help us all. Amen. So one six, and it says this, um, it's sort of mid, mid-sentence, so I'm just going to start from the mid-sentence. And he has made us, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. And to him, to Jesus, to God the Father, to the Holy Spirit, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So he has made us to be a kingdom and priests. Is there someone at that door? Oh, no, it's just the wind. Okay. Guys, I don't know if the, the Christian church fathom this fully. Like, I know, who's heard messages on that we are called to be kings and priests? Who's heard messages on that? How many times? How many of us walk out of there thinking we're a king or we're a priest? All right? We can say it, right? We can say, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, Dave's got a good one he always says, we're king's kids. And it's true, we are king's kids, with the, uh, the children of, of the king himself, Lord Jesus. But how do we take that and live it out in reality? How do we take on uh, uh, the persona, in a sense, or the, the, the personality of Jesus Christ, the king's child, and his priest, and be it in everyday life? Who, who has trouble, trouble with this? When you walk down the street, do you feel like you're a priest? You walk down the street, you know, you, just, you feel like you're just blending with everyone else. Who, who feels like that? Am I alone in this? I blend in really well. Who blends in really well? Yeah, it's pretty easy. You just get in there and you walk along and you just laugh at the same jokes. Everyone else laughs at and away you go. But aren't we supposed to blend in? Are we supposed to make people think, trigger people and cause them to question things that they take for granted, that they see as normal? Aren't we supposed to transform people by them coming into contact with us? I tell you what, if Jesus walked down Rundle Mall, he would not blend in. He'd stand out like a sore thumb. 
And you know how you get these street performers and they get some big crowds around them? Who's seen those street performers? You know, you get a big crowd around. Jesus wouldn't even be doing any performing or nothing. He'd just be walking along and there'd be a crowd around him. Why? Because there's something coming off him. There's a kingly spirit coming off him. There's a priestly spirit that's coming off him. And it's not a priestly spirit. And I know some people straight away think of a Catholic priest. You know, think of these people in, in various, you know, denominations that put on their saintly garb and stand up the front and pretend to be that thing and then ignore the Bible most of the time. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Don't preach from the Bible, preach from the documents that they've been trained in the seminaries to preach from. We're supposed to be the king's children. We're supposed to be kingly, spirited Christians. And I'm going to tell you how important it is. Scripture is going to reveal to us just how important it is that we are those people, that we are kings and priests and that we live it out because when you were saved that's what you were called to we're supposed to be transformed into that there and then bang we're priests now don't have to go to seminary for five years you're a priest you're a king from that moment and now you've got to act it out now you've got to live it out now you've got to open that bible now you've got to know it like the back of your hand like bill's talking about We've got to have scripture rolling off our tongue. D- Dave sent me a really interesting email just last night, and I managed to pick it up this morning while I had limited time to check over my sermon. And of course, I couldn't help myself, I had to read what you had to write than, rather than do a bit of extra work on my sermon. So it doesn't matter because it's, now it's part of the sermon. Um, We have to be very, very careful how deeply we throw ourselves into the studying of conspiracy theory. Because mixed in the truth of that is a bunch of lies and a bunch of deceptions that I think Satan is way behind. Right? He's getting behind, and, I'll, and, and Dave pointed out, and, and, and he, he expressed my heart, and I hadn't articulated it before, but Dave was sort of, and I won't be able to articulate it the same way unless I can find it and read it out. But it's what he's going to do and what we believe, and, and Dave spoke my heart, like I said, is what we believe he's going to, you know how we've had the 1999 that was supposed to be the end of the world? You know that? And then, you know, the trans changing over to the year 2000 was going to bring all the systems, computer systems, the Y2K thing, right? Then there was the 2012 thing. And then in, in the midst of all that, there's been all these other events and times that people have been stating times, and this is going to happen on that day. And Now, every time these things pass and nothing happens, people fall away from the truth. We get backsliders, we get people say, yeah, I've heard it all before. It was supposed to happen then. It was supposed to happen then. It never did. Add to that all the false prophecies of the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists, how they began with a few false prophecies. That's the beginning of their denomination. You know, you accumulate it all and you get a lot of disheartened people, disorientated people that just start to doubt the Scripture. But the Scripture's not telling us that. I'll tell you now, before these things happen, Jerusalem must have a temple built. 
And why I'm saying that is, unless the temple's built, let's not get too carried away with dates. That temple is very important. It's critical. It has to be there. Why? Why do you think? Because Satan has to stand in it and declare himself to be God and set up the abomination that causes desolation. So let's not get carried away with dates. Let's look for the times, be aware of the times, but keep our eyes on Jesus, not eyes on those things. Because it can lead us astray. And I get caught up in it. It's very easy to. You watch some very convincing videos and you're like, your heart starts racing, you know, and you go, oh man, it's, it's coming, it's coming. You know what I mean? But we've got we to gotta rationalize this because it could deceive the elect if it were possible. Even the elect could be deceived. And sometimes you think we're, we're, we're awake and in that illusion, we're actually sleeping. We're getting lulled into a false sense of security or a false sense of impending doom, I suppose. <laughs> hey? Yeah, and fear grips us. That's why Jesus says, simplify it. Just worry about today. Tomorrow's got a lot of trouble of its own. It doesn't mean you don't prepare for tomorrow. It's always good to have it's always good to have uh, insurance measures in place. Know what you would do in a worst-case scenario. What would you do? Are you prepared for worst-case scenario? We insure everything else in our life, don't we? You know, we insure our houses, we insure our cars, we insure our lives, we insure all these things, but we don't insure ourselves for something like a, you know, a national disaster or something. So just have insurance, that insurance in place. Spend a bit of money and put it aside and just do that, get that right. But outside of that, once it's done, rest in Jesus and put more time into this than into pouring out over conspiracy theories. But know them. Know, know what's going on. Keep your ear to the ground. Uh, watch some alternative news sources and all those things. Sort of know what's going on. But always rationalize it. And I think a wise church will get their wisdom through the counsel of many. Right? Years and years ago, I've, I've known about conspiracy theories. For 25 years, I've looked into them. And um, in that time, in my own studying of them, I've been petrified and haven't been able to rationalize, jumping to all sorts of rash conclusions. And Vina could tell you some stories. A few times there, I nearly put her in the car and drove off with the kids. All right? I'm honest. Now everyone thinks I'm a loony tune on the internet. That's all right. <laughs> but that's what they make you do. Amen. Who's felt that way? Yep. You felt like just running for the mountains? Yep. Don't do it. I'm... Looch, do you remember we, we ran for the mountains once? Ran out of money after about three or four days. Had to return home. <laughs> Back in the good old days. <laughs> yeah. So be aware that, that look, God said it's going to happen. Jesus says these times are going to take place. But let's keep it real. Keep it, r rationalize it. You know what? I got this sense, and we got to talk about this among many councils. I got a sense that, we here in Australia have, have time, but let's use it extremely wisely. If there's time before these things happen, it's grace to us coming from Jesus Christ. That's what it is. He's given us grace to save souls, to fulfill the Great Commission. 
what are we supposed to be doing as Christians? We're supposed to be bringing souls into the kingdom. That should be our focus. If we're not doing that and we get to heaven, what Jesus, Jesus, the first thing he's going to ask you is, what did you do with my Great Commission? And you can't answer him, oh, I thought that was for Rob or <laughs> someone else. We are all called to make disciples of nations. No one is exempt. And just please, whatever you do, set your heart on that, on making disciples of nations, getting people saved, getting Christians, as I've said, saved, because Jesus tells us that many will come before him and say, Lord, 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 did we not do this for you and that for you? And he'll say, I never knew you. So we have to get Christians saved now. People that profess Christ, but don't follow him. They don't live for him. They put everything else before him. Amen? Who's catching me this morning? That's good. That's good. All right, so set your affections on becoming a king and a priest, on being that now. Actually, you don't have to become it. You are it now. You You just have to live it out. You have to decide that's what I am. Now, I don't want you joining the Catholic Church and becoming a priest. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to know in your heart that you are a priest because Scripture tells us this. So we're going to look, look at that. Anyway, we'll go quickly first, though, through that Scripture in the Amplified. Revelation 1.6, And formed us into a kingdom, a royal race. You know, when you become a Christian, you go from being part of the human race to being part of a royal race. We are royalty now. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are here to present Christ to the world. How, how do you represent him when you go out into the world? How do you represent him? The people walk away saying, that guy was a Christian. He impacted my life. Or do people go away thinking, Gee, I just don't like Christians. I don't know why. This, every time I meet one, they turn me off. You know, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors have very important jobs. You know, the Amer- American ambassador has a big job when he goes and tries to make peace with other countries. And how many of you know, not many of them do it very well. Right? They sit down at the table and they lie to each other. At the same table. We are called to amb- be an ambassador for Christ. We go out there, we represent him. When we talk to people, you are Christ to that person. You're his ambassador. It's like Christ saying, I bestow upon you everything that I have, and you have my power and authority now. Bang, you're my ambassador. What you say goes. He gives you that authority, that power. So, and he formed us, formed us, he fashioned us, he made us into that. He transformed us, he recreated us into kings and priests. That's what he's done in us. Let's all pray for Michael right now. Put your, reach your arms out towards Michael. In the name of Jesus, let's pray, guys. Yes, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you, Jesus. If you need to walk around, Michael, you can walk around and around the back if you need to, mate. Yeah. All right, thank you, God. We need more power, guys. We need more power. We need God's power in us. We, we need to know that we can pray for Michael and Michael get healed. Right? If Peter and John were here, would he have been healed right now? Yeah? 
the early church were astounded, were astounded at the, 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 the wonders and miracles that were displayed by the disciples at that time. They, they were in awe at what was going on. And the church, that's what the church is called to. It's called to walk in that sort of power. And not put on power, not fake it, not organize people to get up out of wheelchairs and all this sort of stuff that we've been finding out. You know, who's found out stuff like that in, in certain big ministers who can't risk not having a healing? They set them up. But no, the real thing, the real thing. You know, and you know what I reckon is going to get Michael healed is our compassion and our love for him and our faith that Christ can heal him. You know, that's what gets people healed true love. True, sincere love and compassion, heart for souls. When was the last time you heard someone who's, you know, dying of cancer and you've gone up, up to their bedside and cried at their bedside for eight hours until that person got up healed? You know, that's, that's what God's calling us to. True, genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity that changes things, that changes lives. People's lives, they walk out of... They get changed every time they come into contact with you because of what's coming out of you. Amen. So he formed us into a kingdom, a royal race, priests to his God and Father. Man, we're called to be priests. That's a big responsibility. And I hate to burden you with it, but that's what you're burdened with. (laughs) It's the truth. That's what you are. To him be the glory and the power and the majesty and dominion throughout ages, throughout the ages, and forever and ever, amen, and so be it. To him, we are serving the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is so great that it's not until we get to judgment day and see his glory in its fullness that we will realize how much we missed it when we're on earth, how much we didn't realize it on earth. And if we had only, if we could just get a glimpse of that, if we could just see God in all his glory, and if he could just, as it happened with Moses, if he could pass us by once in our life, even for a microsecond, we would never be able to be the same Christians again. If we could just get a glimpse of that. We need to pray for a glimpse of the glory of God, the God that we serve and believe in. Because he is great. He is so much greater than our perception. He's beyond our understanding. That means you get the most in, uh, incredible-minded Christian who could describe the glory of God in the most magnificent way you've ever heard. He, he, he won't even get near what God is. It's like trying to describe a beautiful tropical island and you get someone who's so poetic in their writing and they describe it and you go, oh, that sounds beautiful as you read it. You know, this is such a beautiful place by the sounds of it. But then you get there and it's like, pales. That writing pales. This is so much better. My mind could not understand it, comprehend it or visualize how glorious it really is. That's our God. He is that far. You know, and this is another reason why we can't comprehend God, is God is infinite. We are finite. We can't fathom something that's infinite. Our minds can't comprehend infinity. 
and I'm sure all of you at one time in your life have tried to comprehend infinity, tried to think about a universe that never ends, and you, your mind sort of goes into overtime, and then you get to a wall, and you go, no, there can't be a wall there. It's got to be, it's got to go beyond, and you take that wall away, and you go on, and say, no, 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 it's got to be another wall there, but it's not, right? Because we're finite. In everything in our life, we, we, we get born and we die. It has a beginning, it has an end, you know? You eat a meal, you start a meal, and you finish a meal. You get in the car and you drive from one destination to another. You go from a, bit, a start to a finish, and then you turn around and come back. And, but you've always got finishes and ends. Everything has a start and a finish. But with God, there's none of that. So we have to fathom this. To him be the glory and the power and the majesty and dominion throughout the ages and forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. And I know I've talked about this a few times, and I've probably talked about everything a few times. But infinity is a long time. Who knows that? Who knows forever is a long time? Yeah? Who wants to live forever in this room? Yeah? Everyone want to live forever? You know, I've talked to some atheists, and they're that pig-headed in their atheism. I say, don't you want to live forever? And they go, no, that would be terrible. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well... What, so you'd rather die right now? Oh, no, no, I want to live out this life. Because I've got this perception that living forever is getting older and older and older and more decrepit, and, you know what I mean? Infinity and eternal life goes from glory to glory to glory to glory. And as I've said many times, in a million years, we're going to look at each other and say, eternity's just begun, guys. We've been here for a million years. And we haven't even started eternity yet because it's never going to end. And that's what, we've, that, that's what we're going for. That's what we're living for. That's what this life and this Christian life is for. That's what all these hardships are for. That's what every, all the struggles and everything that we're wrestling with and all of this stuff that's going on in our life, we're going to receive a prize beyond measure. And it, it, it's an eternal weight in glory. You know, I wonder sometimes if you offered a, a certain Christians a Ferrari or eternal life, they'd go for the Ferrari. You know? You know, you know what I'm saying? You, who, who knows Christians like that? They, it's all about prosperity now. It's all about the best life now. I would much rather be, you know, just... Worst down and out guy, not worst in sin nature, but just a down and out with nothing and, and no one likes me, all that, but receive an eternal kingdom. You know? It's far greater value, far greater value. So let's get our minds set on the right thing. So, so in saying all that, this thing is the most important book in your life. Deposit it into your heart and into your mind. Get to know it so that no one can deceive you. Make sure it's in there. Make sure if you get locked away for 10 years and you're deprived of a Bible, you don't worry because you got it. You know, like the Book of Eli sort of thing, but not Hollywoodized, but someone who has it in his memory. And it's not that hard to memorize. I actually started memorizing the Book of Ephesians because I used to think I had a really lousy memory, I, and I still do think it, but... I started to memorize just for the exercise of training my memory to think, memorize. 
And before I knew it, I'd memorized chapter one, then I memorized chapter two, three, four, and then I sort of, you know, got five and six pretty sketchy, but I, I started to get them as well. So I started to memorize it. You remember Bill and Leach, don't you? Vena, of course, she used to help me test it off. It takes quite a while to, you know, keep revising it and keeping it all up to date. But it's amazing how quickly you can memorize scripture. You know, and it's so important. You never know when your spirituality is going to depend on having a wealth of scripture stored up in your heart. Okay, let's keep going. Kingdom and priests. What was promised to the Jews is now offered to the Gentiles also. So let's turn to Exodus 19, verse 5 to 6. Now, this is where I'm going to get a little bit doctrinally um, accurate. I'm going to really pull out the doctrine on this, so get ready for a bit of a study. Now, if... Everyone there? Yep. Now, if you obey me fully... Okay, there's a word if. We have an if. What's an if? Conditional. It's a condition. There's a conditional promise attached when you put the word if, it means there's spin-off possibilities. If you do, you receive this. If you don't, you receive that. Two possibilities. So it says, now, if you obey me fully, obey me fully, it's only those who obey the will of God will receive the kingdom of God. So if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. This is God talking to Israel back in the time of Moses. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's important. Not an unholy nation, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Well, that's the next bit. So, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, did Israel live up to that? No. No. Read through the book of Kings and Chronicles. You'll see that they slipped on every turn sort of thing. They didn't fulfill it. Now, it's interesting that because they couldn't fulfill it, it was for our blessing. Let's have a look. Romans 11. Let's turn there. Romans 11, verse 11. And it says, now he was just talking about Israel stumbling. And he says, again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? This is Paul saying this. Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. And it did. You know, the, the Jews hated the fact that Paul took the message to the Gentiles. When he announced it in one, one time when there was a riot, he announced that, he, that Jesus has sent him to the Gentiles. What did they want to do to him then? They tried to kill him. And the Roman guards took him away and spread him out. They were about to whip him. And then he said, I'm a Roman citizen. I don't know if you know the story, but that's in the book of Acts. It made, him, it made Israel envious because Israel is like, you know, we're God's people. You guys aren't. <laughs> but he did this to make them envious. And then he adds in, in verse 12, but if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches to the Gentiles... How much greater riches will their fullness bring? So their loss, because of Israel's loss, 
It's brought riches to us. Salvation has come to us. Now, do you think this got God by, caught God by surprise, that he didn't expect Israel to transgress? Do you think it caught God by surprise that Adam ate from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? God knew. He knows the end from the beginning. So he saw it all. He had it all planned. The whole thing was ready to go. So these riches have come to us. And so we can thank Israel for their transgression. Next time you meet a Jew, thank you for transgressing. <laughs> one, one Peter, good opening line. <laughs> one Peter 2.9. Let's go there, 1 Peter 2.9. I love the book of Peter. When I start reading the book of Peter, I always think, man, I should do a verse-by-verse study of the book of Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I know he's done it, yeah. I don't know if they're all online, though. Yeah. Mm. 1 Peter 2.9 is a famous one, and I'm sure when we started talking about kingdom of priests, you would have thought of this scripture, most of you. 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, But you are a chosen people. Now, we'll just stop there for a second. The word chosen people, let's bounce back to 1 Peter 1, verse 2. Uh, and he talks about the saints who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So he knew already, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So you're chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. What does that mean? Sanctified. If you're sanctified in Christ, you are made holy. And he will continue to sanctify you, and you must continually consecrate yourself to him on a daily basis. So you must, as Paul would say, I die daily. What he means is I sanctify or I consecrate my life to you today, my Lord, and I am yours. So you, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. See, to be obedient, not to be disobedient, not to live in sin and grieve the Holy Spirit, and to become obnoxious to God because you walk and say you're Christian but you live like the devil, he, that's not what it is. You're under grace. You've got to stay under grace. You don't get out from under grace. You stay under grace. Grace is a covering that you can get out from underneath. So you've got to stay. And this is what it's saying it very clearly. Actually, I've got so many scriptures. Every time I read through the New Testament, I underline them. There's hundreds of them. Hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that speak to the same effect. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience. Why? We're chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. When you get under the grace of God, you get sprinkled by his blood and he heals you of all sin. He forgives you of all sin. And you live out a Christian life in repentance. We're not called to, to Jesus to be disobedient. And evidence that you're in Jesus is obedience, is walking according to the will of the Father, not according to the will of Satan. Amen? 
To me, it's cut and dry. But to many people today, they've been, the, they've been very confused by the teachings because the self, teachings of salvation are very thin, are very shallow. They don't give us the fullness of the teaching. So we've got to be Bereans. We've got to go really deep into the doc, this doctrine of salvation and make sure it's, it's fully understood because if it's fully understood, it changes you. You can't live the way that you were living. You have to change because you realize, I understand now. Understanding brings wisdom if you act on it. Do you know what I mean? Once you understand what salvation, what it's required of you, because it is, there's something required of you too. There's something required of Jesus Christ. Amen? What did he do for us? Everything. He laid it down. He was tortured, battered, bruised, beaten, put on a cross, he suffered. Now he's called us to take up our cross, to lay it all down for him, didn't he? He says, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. That's a big, a big call on Christians. Be holy as I'm holy. Let's have a look at that. 1 Peter 1 verse 15. It says, therefore, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds, guys, for action. Prepare them for action. Be self-controlled. So he's telling us, be self-controlled because if you're not self-controlled, Satan will get the better of you. If you don't resist the sin nature, the sin nature will get a hold of you and pull you away from Christ. Resist it. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say fight with the devil and he'll flee. Resist him. Just, no. Smith Wigglesworth. Who's heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yep. There was a a story that he was in his bed one night, and he used to have an incredible ministry of healing, powerful move of God came upon him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they say he was in bed one night, and he felt this real dark presence in his room. And he turned around, and he actually saw Satan in his room. And you know what his words were? Oh, it's only you. He rolled over and went back to sleep. You know, what would we do? We would get up there and, yeah, come on. (laughs) No way, just whatever. Good night. Can't touch me. I'm under the blood. Can't touch me. You can look at me all you want. Hear me snore. I've got a shock and snore. You're going to hate it. Therefore, prepare your minds. See, that's, that's another way prepare for the times here. Prepare your minds. Know how we must live as Christians. You know, we, we, we get so hazy on what it is to be a Christian these days. We get so, like, you know, where do we draw the line? What's, what's going on? You know, there's so many things thrown at us. How do we be Christian in this day and age? And that's what I'm, I, I come, you come on Sunday, and at least once a week you're going to get me jamming this down your throat. I'll tell you what the scriptures say. You do with it as you will. But if you want to keep coming back, hopefully it'll, it'll keep on working on you. <laughs> keep on getting in. And it does get in. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your, set your hope fully on that grace that is going to be given to you. See, 
The Holy Spirit has come to lead us into all truth. He comes to set us free from sin. He comes to help us to stay under the grace. He comes to help us to, um, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. He comforts us in time of need. He counsels us when we don't know the next thing we should do. He inspires us to pursue Jesus Christ with all our heart. That's what he's for. Do we utilize him? Do we get up and say, Holy Spirit, come and do something in me really big. You know, something change me today. Change me today. Transform me today. Make me that Christian I'm meant to be. Set your hope fully on the grace of God to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's the hope. Set your hope when Jesus Christ comes. As obedient children, do not conform. I want you really to carefully listen to these words. As obedient children, not disobedient children. So if, he's, if there's disobedient children, this is a rebuke to the Christians that aren't living Christian lives. As obedient children... This is what obedient children do. They do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You don't conform. You just don't conform. You don't do what you used to do. You don't do what the world does. And then he says, but just as he who called you is holy, who's that? Jesus Christ, God the Father. Holy Spirit, they're all holy, 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 holy. Just as he called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Get every word there, in all you do. Not just holy 90% of the time, not just holy 80% of the time, but holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Fair enough reason. Just, he's holy, we be holy. Christ-like, we do the same thing. You know what I mean? Is this all working together, what I'm, what I'm saying today? Let's go 1 Peter 2.5. And it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house so, guys, we're all being built together, living stones, cemented together, by the, and the cement is Holy Spirit. He's bringing us all together and, and combining us and uniting us into a spiritual, to be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I won't go into that right now because that will take me way away from the sermon, but that's what he's called us to, to be a priesthood, a spiritual priesthood that is going to be built together as a holy temple. You know, we could be doing all this on a lawn right now and we'd be a church, a temple. We'd be a temple and the temple would be us. We don't need this here to be a church. We need this here. Do you know what I mean? United brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that is the church. Too many people think they go to church and it's a building. But church is the people, and I know I'm not teaching you anything new in saying that, but there might be some people on the online that need to hear that. All right, Revelation 5.10, let's go there quickly. 
And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. And the next scripture talks about reigning on earth for a thousand years. We are going to be the priests that reign on earth at the coming of the Lord. So live as if you are that right now. Live this now. That's who you are in Christ. Revelation 20 verse 6. It talks about the first death and the second death here. And it says, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. And if you then look at what happens after that thousand years, there's a great rebellion that occurs. They come from... Gog and Magog and the four corners of the earth and there's this huge rebellion of people that come and they, they come, they've had a thousand years of peace on earth. They've had Jesus Christ on earth. They know he's real now. And guess what? They still hate him. They still, the, the coveted peace that every you know, beauty pageant you know, woman wants, they've had it, a whole thousand years of it, no wars. Then at the end of that, a huge number rebel against God. They say it's like the sand on the seashore, and they come to, towards, they think they're going to attack God and beat him. It's how foolish they don't even understand the power of God after a thousand years. And God smites them all, doesn't he? Right? And then begins eternity, and that's when God the Father comes. The first coming of God the Father. We've had Jesus with us for a thousand years, and the first coming of God the Father. Now, Unless we're in our imperishable bodies, we will not stand with the coming of the Father. Could you, could you imagine? Moses couldn't look. He had to look at his back. You know. But when you see the face of God, no one sees the face of God and live. No one will. So you've got to be imperishable, which means you can't die. So that's the only way to look upon him. But could you imagine what that would be like? So make sure you're part of the first resurrection. Now, uh, and I want to just read through this as well. Matthew 20. If we can just slip back to Matthew. So who's ever wanted to be great in the kingdom? Put up your hand if you've ever wanted to be great in the kingdom. Am I the only one here? <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We've all wanted to be great in the kingdom. Who doesn't want to be great in whatever you do? You know, if you take up a sport, you'd be great if you could be the best sportsman in that sport you can be, you know. And I just like this story because he really sets the scene here. And it says in verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. Now they're the sons of thunder. Zebedee's sons were the sons of thunder. Uh, with her sons kneeling down, asked the favor of Jesus. What is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And then Jesus says this, he says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? He says, you don't know what you're asking here. You're asking for your children to basically go to their death. That's really what you're doing. Because to sit at my right and left hand, these, these guys are going to lay their, have to lay their life down for me. So Jesus said to them, 
You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, Jesus drank a cup. And what was that cup? Sorry? Cup of bitter suffering. Bitter, bitter suffering. Do you remember what Jesus prayed before that that before his crucifixion? Do you remember what he prayed in the garden? Yeah, may this cup be taken away. Even Jesus, God in the flesh, said, Please take it away, if it be possible, but let your will be done. Right? And he says, Can you drink it? Now, did he just ask the sons of thunder that? Or has he asked the whole church that? Because mind you, 11 of the 12 disciples all drank a bitter cup of suffering. Not just the sons of thunder. Right? That's the call today. Hate to break the news to you. If you've got this idea that it's all about prosperity. It's not. It's a cup of bitter suffering. That's why you get Christians in these countries where there's great persecution and they, and they do an older call and they say, if you want Jesus in your life, be prepared to lay your life down for him because you could be killed in the next few days. You could have your head cut off. You could have your brains blown out. Are you prepared to accept Jesus and go to your death? Imagine that older call at church. <laughs> Everyone would be like, oh, I'm leaving. <laughs> You won't get that older call, will you? You won't hear it. But over there, the pastors will be too scared not to preach it because they could walk out of that church and someone could be there with a gun pointing at their head there and then, that moment. And that person would have just given his life to Jesus. And if he's given his life to Jesus under false circumstances, he'll go, hey, I'm not called to this. I'm out of here. Yeah, give up Jesus and live. Yeah, no worries. Have him. How far are we willing to go with the faith? How much do we believe? Do we really believe? Are you laying your life down on this belief? Are you prepared for that? Why is Christianity so weak and powerless and watered down in the West? It's because of this teaching. I remember when I first came across this sort of teaching, and I discovered it, of course, through reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, I went into our local church at the time. It's an AOG, charismatic, you know, jump around. They, their worship was, you know, pretty intense. And um, the services were great preachers, you know, but they're all preaching feel-good messages. And I went around, and I, I don't know, I just couldn't help but say, you know, are you ready to die for Jesus? And they go, no. <laughs> you know, Jesus laid his life down for you. Are you willing to lay your life down for him? And they go, no, I'm not called to that. And I'm like... All the saints throughout the last 2,000 years, this is, what they, this is how they lived it. They didn't want a bar of it. They said, that's, that's not what we're called to, brother. And I had one lady have the audacity to say, oh, they go through it because they don't have enough faith. I'm like, no, they go through it because they have great faith. How great is a man's faith if he's getting chained to a stake and they're putting sticks at his feet and they're about to set him on on fire and there's someone the whole time saying, just give up Jesus and I'll let you go. Just just give up Jesus and I'll let you out. Just give up Jesus. And as you're burning and it's hurting, give up Jesus and you can come out. Give up Jesus, you can come out. 
much faith do you have to have to stay there and get cooked? Guys, this is true Christianity. I'm not preaching a new Christianity. I'm preaching a neglected teaching in the church. And it slaps you in the face, and especially in Adelaide, because it's all peaceful out there. It's beautiful. You know, you can do really well. You know, make a lot of money and have all the beautiful gadgets and live a beautiful life, raise a beautiful family, have a nice life. But when the day comes, we'll get swept away. Get swept away. You'll lose your salvation. You have all that and lose eternal life. So all I'm saying is have your mind set and your heart set according to the truth. Know what this is. Know what true Christianity is and live it. Be it. Let it transform you and change you so you are that. Does that make sense? So if that day ever comes, we're ready. We've already made our minds up. Yep. If I have to die for Jesus, I have to die sooner or later anyway, so I may as well die for Jesus. You know? Probably better to die in a few seconds getting my head cut off than to die slowly of a terrible cancer for a year. You know, in pain and agony. So just have it set in your heart. Anyway, and then the good thing is, is you'll be part of the first resurrection. And you'll be kings and priests in the kingdom of God when, when he comes, when Jesus comes. And he will honor you. And he'll look so favorably upon you. And when you, when you get before him on judgment day, he'll say, come up here, son. Come up here, my daughter. Enter into your rest. Well done. Well done. And man, isn't that worth dying for to hear that? Hear those words? All these things have to be taken into perspective. We must get them into perspective. Because if, if you're believing a Christianity that is not this, you're not believing the Christianity of the early church because that's how they lived it. That's what it was all about. It's in your face, isn't it? Is it in your face? Yeah, it has to be. Jesus was in people's faces. What did he say to the Pharisees? Well, John the Baptist, let's go back to John the Baptist. He looked at the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. <laughs> he was in their face. And what did Jesus say? Woe to you, you Pharisees. Woe to you. It's a miracle he survived to the point of getting to the cross. It's a miracle he didn't get killed. It's, if God didn't intervene, Jesus would never have made it because he offended so many people on the way. Whoa. You read the scriptures and he's a beautiful man, but man. Double-edged sword tongue. But truth, undeniable truth, straight down the line. Can't deny it. They couldn't even deny it. They just get offended. Satan would fill them with rage. And expect that. When you speak the truth, expect rage. It could be a, you know, Paul said, I know that I'm still preaching the cross because I'm still being persecuted. He gauged his doctrinal accuracy by persecution. Gauge your doctrinal accuracy by how much you get persecuted, by the things that take place in your life. All right, Matthew 20, I'll try to finish it. She said to Jesus, Grant, one of these two sons of mine, that they may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they said, we can. And they did. 
I don't know if they knew what they were saying. They said, oh, I can drink that cup. You're drinking it right now. (laughs) I'll have a bit of that. But they had no idea, I'm sure at this moment, that they knew he was talking about a cup of bitter suffering. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed have to take up your cross and follow me. If you love your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will find it. You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. I don't know who's going to sit there. It would be nice to know, but you know, Paul could be there. Abraham could be there. I don't know. Who knows? These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Like, I'm, I'm not expecting to be at his right or his left, right? but I'd like to be close to his right or his left. <laughs> be nice, wouldn't it? Even a few rows back, you know, just, <laughs> hey, I'm pretty close to the Lord. I can see his right hand or his left hand. You know what I mean? You want to be close. You want to get really, really close. And I believe if you ask Paul, Paul, how close did you walk with Jesus? In his humbleness, he would have said, nowhere near close enough. Right? There's always room to walk closer to Jesus. And I'm telling you now, if you choose in your heart to walk as close as you possibly can each and every day, if you can pull right up beside the Lord, you can walk closer than even Paul did. If that was possible, I believe it's possible. So don't think it's out of the question. It's got to do with your heart and your love and your passion to serve Jesus at that level. And you know what? I believe God is going to do this in the church in these days. This is what the church is all about. We are to raise up now. The church is to raise up and expect that as we do, as we become awake, as we raise up, as we strengthen ourselves, as we start to get empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we start to live lives as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, expect persecution, but expect some of the most magnificent revivals at least Australia has ever known. Because the harvest is the end of the age. Jesus says it. The harvest is the end of the age. Now we're heading into the end of the age. That means expect a harvest and prepare yourselves to be laborers in that harvest field. And you're kings and priests. And don't think kings and priests just sit back and get served in the kingdom. We're out there working. We're to get on our hands and knees and wash the feet of the saints, just like Jesus did. We're to be out there in the harvest field, for it's ripe for harvest, but few are the laborers. Let's, as a church, put our hand up, Lord, and say, Lord, put us in those harvest fields. Put us out there. Make us harvesters in this time. And let's, let's get a harvest in. Let's get souls saved. Let's get the souls discipled. We don't want just people to put up their hand and say, yes, I receive you, Lord, as, 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 as my saviour. We want to get them in the church and Im- like embedded in the walls of the church. Living stones embedded in, discipled, encouraged, built up, trained up. Do you know what I mean? We've got to really embrace them and bring them into the fullness of who they're meant to be in Christ because everyone is, God has made everyone different with different gifts and talents and abilities and we've got to recognize them. 
and not be threatened by anyone's gifts and talents. But just to, just to look and go, wow, look at what God can, has done in you. Wow, what a gift. I wish I had that ability, but I'm so glad you do because now I don't have to have it. I'm glad you're a foot and I'm a kneecap or something. <laughs> All right, now where are we? You will indeed drink from my cup, and you, but to sit at my right or my left is, is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been de- prepared for by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, as you can imagine. They would have gone, what are you doing? You know, Come on, man, that place is for me. I want that. I want to be there. <laughs> They're only indignant because they want to be at the right and left of Jesus. Uh, so Jesus called them together and thought, perfect opportunity. I can teach them what it is. You could... Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This is a humble teaching, isn't it? And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. And I just wrote this little thing in response. The sons of thunder saw honor and recognition, but Jesus turned their dream on its head. In a few words, he showed them that his, this honor and recognition and the kingdom will come by drinking the bitter cup of suffering Jesus was about to drink and to humbly serve others. Our, the whole concept of kingly children was turned upside down up until that time if you were a king you were served people came in they bowed down to you and you hold out your scepter and you may speak and you know and there's someone bringing you water and food and it's all laid on and the king's carried on their shoulders and jesus came he bowed down he washed their feet which was the most dishonorable place to be. That's what the servants used to do, you know, because one of the things that you'd get to a person's house in those days and if they were wealthy, you couldn't come in with dirty feet and your feet were usually dirty because you just walked along dusty paths. So they would wash your feet. The servant, the, the guy, the scummiest guy in, among all of them, you know, the guy is always dirty, you know, those guys. And he got his towel and he'd wash your feet and oh, thank you very much. Oh, he wouldn't even say thank you. It's like, you're nothing. You just washed my feet. How low are you? And what did Jesus do? This is how far I'll stoop. I'll become scum of the earth. And that's what you must do also. That's why he said, do this to others also. And he's not meaning that we necessarily have to wash each other's feet. and would be good because some of us could do with a good foot wash. But it's, it's stoop down and serve others to that degree. Lay our life down for our friends. That's true love. Amen? That's the sort of people we're called to be. And I tell you what, that's attractive when we serve each other at that level genuinely. Do you know what I mean? We reach out to people and we, we come down to their level. Who knows it's hard to be humble like that? Yeah? I find it hard. But he's, the Lord's trying to break us. He's trying to remake us. 
He wants a broken church that he can fix. But the problem is, is the church thinks it's fixed and he can't do anything with it. He needs to break it to remake it. And so if we're prepared to get broken, he can do something awesome with each and every one of us that we would never have dreamed possible. Yep. Okay. Okay, so that's as far as I'll go today. Thanks for bearing with me. I hope you got a lot from the sermon. Um, There was something else I was just going to say before I close, and I've forgotten it. It'll come back probably while I pray. So let's pray, guys. Lord Jesus, thank you for this uh, message today, and thank you for what you've revealed to us, Lord. And uh, Lord, it was there's a lot in what was spoken today, a lot that we have to chew over, a lot that we have to apply, a lot of things that you've got to do in us and uh, to cause us to become the people that you've, you've died to make us. Lord, let us not disappoint you. Let us not give up meeting together, as the word says, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us gather together all the more as we see the day approaching, as these times are winding up, Lord, strengthen us as a church, strengthen us in our numbers, strengthen us in our devotion to each other and to to the Word of God and to you, my Lord Jesus, so that this church can stand during these days ahead, so that this church may be a life raft to many and that we will grow stronger and fulfill everything that you've called us to fulfill in these days. Because there is so much that we must uh, walk in. There's so much we have to fulfill. If we only knew, it would probably scare us all, just the volume of what we must achieve for your name. So, Lord, get us into that place where we can be productive Christians, Christians of influence, Christians that walk by the Spirit and live and, and fulfill everything that you have for us to fulfill in our mandate, our personal mandates. Lord, um, we need your spirit to guide us continuously. So I ask that you would fill us with your spirit and bless us uh, to continue to walk by your power every day. Help us to seek the full empowering baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can uh, do wonders for your name. And may the glory always go to you. May we not get... uh, May pride not fill our heart. May we not get big heads or anything like that. But may we be humble, like um, Paul and, or like sorry, Peter and John, when they healed the beggar in the street. And it says, "Why are you looking at us like as if some great power came out of from us?" But this was from Jesus Christ. Let us retain that humbleness at all times, so that we can uh, bring great, great glory to Your name. So we ask this in Your wonderful name. And help us as a church now to unite together as we, as we go over and have lunch together. And uh, may you just guide us and direct every element of the, of the conversation that takes place. And uh, may it just edify us um, and uh, take us to a new level in you. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. 
If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.